0: From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle.
1: Welcome to It's All Political, the Chronicle's politics podcast. Today's guest is Emily's List President Stephanie Shriok, who's going to explain to us why thousands and thousands of women are running for office. I I think we can guess why, but she's going to explain the deeper reason. I'm Joe Garofoli, and this is It's All Political. Okay, welcome to It's All Political. This is Joe Garofoli, the senior political writer here at the San Francisco Chronicle, with Stephanie Shriok, the head of Emily's List. You are in town. Uh, what are you doing in town, by the way?
0: I am. I've been uh, been in California all week this week. Uh, now I'm I'm a kid who grew up in Montana, so anytime I can get to the West Coast, I am a happy, California. happy person. Uh, but we're we're talking to our members out here, uh, getting everybody ginned up for another election cycle, uh, meeting a few candidates, potential candidates along the way, and yeah. just uh, keeping up the energy here in California.
1: Speaking of energy, yeah, let's talk about the Trump bump since the campaign last. In the last cycle, 900 women contacted EMILY's List. EMILY's List, by the way, organization that uh, recruits and trains, raises money for female uh, uh, pro-abortion rights candidates. Accurate? Yes. Um, Last year in the cycle, 900 women contacted EMILY's List expressing an interest to run for office. Since President Trump has been inaugurated, how many women have contacted Mm -hmm. EMILY's List?
0: (laughs) Yes, in just those few months, we have had over 13,000 women contact us. I, think you said, 13, I have that 000. look every morning, 13,000. And it is every day, Joe, every day, 20 to 50 women sign up on our emilyslist.org run to win website saying, hey, I want to step up, I want to run for office. Maybe they know what they want to run for, maybe not. They just want their voices to be heard. And when I say this is unprecedented... I mean, you just shared the number uh, of last election cycle. We've been doing this at Emily's List, recruiting and training women to run for office for over thirty years. Never have we seen anything like this.
1: Why are they doing this? When you uh, when they call and contact you, what do they say? Is there any dominant themes?
0: You know, it, it's a combination of things. Now, not surprising to anybody, it is their dislike of trump and a real fear that trump and his administration is taking this country in the wrong direction which uh as an emily's list would agree that that's exactly what uh trump and his administration are doing so that is so much of the central point but there's something else in there too so when i was up in lansing michigan back in march i pulled a small group of uh, these women who said hey this is my time i'm going to run and i brought them in and and I was like, so tell me, why? why? Like, why now? And I expected this whole litany of Donald Trump and what he's doing. And honestly, out of those, those women there, Donald Trump didn't come up. It was, it was Hillary Clinton, her loss, what it meant to them that maybe their voices weren't going to be heard in our government. Uh, a sense of, you know, one of them said, I'm not sure I did enough. And now it's my turn, and I need to step up and make sure that women and families are heard at the decision-making tables. So there's a combination of things going on. So it's not just Donald Trump's victory. I think it is also Hillary Clinton's loss and what that that says about where we are uh, as women in this country. And the women are like, I didn't like that. I want to make sure that's not the case moving forward. And they're stepping up.
1: So what's the, of all the people who say they're going to run, how many actually wind up running? Like of those 900 that contacted you last year, how many actually sift into candidates?
0: Well, here's the interesting uh, piece of this. They're not all going to run in 2018. And even of those 920 that contacted us last election cycle, you know, a few hundred of them ran that year. But some of them are running this year. And some of them are going to run in 2020. So when I think about this as the president of Emily's List, what this means for electing Democratic women in 18, like, this is really good. And we're going to have a lot of women running in U.S. House races and legislative seats and city councils. But what I'm really excited about is that this is the next decade of candidates. These are women who are you know, going to start thinking about what it is to run, what they need to do to position themselves in their communities to get to know their communities better. They're going to get politically engaged. They're going to get politically involved. They're going to have conversations with their family about what it means to run. Uh, and then they're going to think, maybe it's 2020 or maybe I'm going to do it in five years. But for Emily's List, this is an incredibly powerful pool of women Honestly, one of our biggest challenges for 30 years has been getting enough women to say, yes, I'll do it. We just have over 13,000 saying, yes, I want to do it. Now we just got to get through the how you do it, and we can do that.
1: Are you getting any sense that some of the traditional reasons that women said they weren't running for office are dissipating at all? Some of them, you know, whether they be family issues, whether they be, I don't, this toxic environment, I don't want to be a part of this, et cetera, et cetera. Are you getting any sign of that?
0: I mean, not right now. I mean, what we do get is how in the world do I put this campaign together? You know, and and how do I find the money? And the fundraising is daunting for a lot of candidates. But that—that's what Emily's list does. You know, we really sit down and teach women how to go about raising money from their communities and their friends and their family members, and then organizations around the country. Uh, so what I tell all of them is, this is just take this one step at a time. It's like putting together a business. It's like a startup. You can't do it all at once. You gotta just keep moving it forward. And so those questions are still there. Um and also remember that women are fifteen times more likely to be in charge of childcare in their household. And so that is for a lot of mothers of young children, that is a, a big let's say, obstacle, it is a big challenge. And to really think through how how the kids fit in the picture is an important part of this and a conversation that we have. Here's the good news. We've got a lot of role models across the country, whether they're in the legislature or even up in the U.S. Senate. I can go call Senator Kirsten Gillibrand and say, will you talk to a candidate about what it's like to have a little one while you're in in the Senate? And she's like, absolutely. Uh, And they all do it a little bit differently, but there's so many great role models to go to now.
1: And do you get a sense of the demographics of the people who are stepping forward now? Are they uh, both geographically, ethnically, racially, is it mostly white women? Are there women of color, more women of color running? Are they running from red districts, purple districts, et cetera? All, these numbers represent all
0: 50 states in the country. All 50 states. Now, it will not be surprising to you here in San Francisco that there are hundreds and hundreds of women in California who are interested in running, which I think is great. You know, we I think about the legislature here. You know, the percentage of women in the California legislature has actually been going down, uh, and so we've been working with organizations like Close the Gap here in California to really target and recruit women to run. And now we've got this whole new pool to start talking to and thinking through what their path of engagement is. So this is as important as in California as other places, but it is all 50 states. Uh, Nearly 50% are under the age of 45. Uh, So talk about the next generations of women stepping up Uh, more and more diversity, uh, both geographic and racial Uh, And it's the work that we're also going to do at Emily's List as we increase the organization. In fact, I am more than tripling the size of my state and local team staff who are going to be on the ground regionally. I I have one person dedicated to California for the first time in a very long time to really start talking and training and recruiting and placing these women in races. And I think that's what's going to be really important here.
1: What, what about in California? We have, uh, there's several Republicans here who are uh, on all sorts of targeted lists and considered a little bit more vulnerable because of their vote on the affordable uh, the American, uh, whatever the Republicans, I mean, whatever, call whatever, it, whatever the, watch watch out. we call it yes. Trump care?
0: <laughs> Trump Ryan care?
1: <laughs> whatever you want to call it. the Republican health care bill, yeah. uh, which they all voted for. Yes. Um, What are the prospects here uh, for women running in California? As you said, the the numbers in the state legislature are not um, here in in a a state where you have incredible role models for women. Pelosi, Feinstein, Boxer, Kamala Harris, et cetera, et cetera. Um, What's what's the landscape looking like in California?
0: I really see this as a huge opportunity in 2018. You bring up these U.S. House seats in California. So right now across the country... There are 23 Republicans uh, living in districts Hillary Clinton won. Seven of those are here in California. Now, most of them are in the Orange County area, but they—they are here. All seven of those districts, uh, Emily's list is looking at very closely and hoping to recruit. Uh, women in those races. Not sure we'll have women in all seven, but we're definitely got some recruits looking at it very closely. In some cases, we have more than one woman looking at it, uh, which is our new challenge and our new opportunity. And it's probably beyond time to have that situation come up. Uh, So I feel really, really good about the opportunities, particularly after this health care vote. We've seen in some early polling Uh, that the voters... I mean, one, you've seen the national polling on this bill. People do not like it. It is incredibly, incredibly unpopular. But even among these, as we sort of call the Obama-Trump voters, they don't like the direction of the bill. I mean, the thought of... You know, up to 23 million people losing their health insurance. Right. The question about pre-existing conditions I and mean, these these are not good things out for voters across this country. I think these Republicans are in really big trouble over this vote.
1: And many of those Republicans are representing districts that we hit the hardest by uh, the loss of MediCal cal in right. California. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about uh, let's let's go back. Let's go back to the what for your side of the aisle was very painful loss yeah. in the in the presidential. Um, There's just a report out from the Center for American Women in Politics about the role that uh, gender played um, in the race. Secretary Clinton's talked about it obliquely um, uh, recently, saying that it was a factor. Um, One of the things out of this report talked about averse sexism, which is not necessarily something, oh, I don't want to vote for a woman. It's like, well, maybe she doesn't have the uh, strength to deal with this, or maybe she's better in traditional roles. Those are some of the themes that came out in the polling there. What role do you think it played, if any, in the race, and and how did it express itself specifically?
0: Well, here's the thing. This country's never elected a woman president. Uh, Last election was the first time in our entire history that a woman became the... Presidential nominee for a major party, so there's some challenges here. Right. Like if this were easy, if there was if there was no sexism at all, this would have already happened. So we know that this is a challenge. As I look at this this particular election, uh, not only do we still have in our culture sort of a little bit of a challenge of envisioning what. Uh, what a woman president would look like, because we've never seen one, and so you've got to get your head around what that would look like. Now, despite that, she did win the popular vote by nearly three million, so a lot of Americans got their heads around that. Uh, But the combination of Hillary being the first woman and Donald Trump running what I would consider one of the most sort of... I mean, he's this, the sexism and misogyny on top of the racism and the xenophobia that he was stirring up. The combination of those two things makes this election uh, incredibly unusual uh, and also really, I think, really daunting uh, for where women are. And I think, you know, you asked me earlier, you know, why do I think there's all these these 13,000 plus women in everyday growing saying they want to run for office? I think part of it is that they want to prove that this is not the environment that they're living in. And they want to prove to themselves and to their communities that gender doesn't matter. Now, here's the thing. Gender does does matter. Doesn't mean we can't win. And I would argue that women are incredibly, incredibly strong leaders and have proven that over and over again as they've served as governors across this country or secretaries of state. Uh, but we still live in a country where 23 states have never had a woman governor ever.
1: I would not have a, a woman elected to woman elected to federal office until Jody Ernst that, a couple years ago. Yeah.
0: That's exactly right. <clears throat> um, that's a good, and Mississippi still hasn't, by the way, the one state left that has never had a woman elected uh, statewide. So we've got some we've got <clears throat> some places to go. But here's the thing: we believe at Emily's List. We just got to win. We just got to prove that it can be done. And when women lead in their states, uh, and California is a perfect example of this, uh, voters welcome that leadership and embrace that leadership. And if anybody uh, has proven that out, California has been on the forefront with two women senators, you know, and then of course now uh, Senator Harris adding to that list. Uh, in Washington state, where we have had two women senators uh, for quite a while now. Uh, we've had a woman governor there. Uh, and it sort of breaks, sort of once the glass ceilings are broken and the mindsets are set, it's like, oh, yeah, this is just as normal as anything else. And it is. Mm. But a lot of places in this country haven't seen that yet. And we just, we just have to break the ceilings. How much
1: do you, with the presidential campaign, how much of, can you tease out that this was... Uh, gender issue and how much of it was the candidate and even joe biden says hillary not a great candidate would have been a terrific president how much of it is was hillary and how much of it was gender i mean the the candidate how much do you describe to her her campaign
0: well even you know even hillary clinton has you know taken responsibility and uh, for her and her campaign i mean there were there of course missteps you know any any losing campaign is gonna have have some of that and just the way it goes And it's hard. It's hard to know. Right. It's hard to know. Was it solely gender? Absolutely not. No, it was not. Was gender a factor? Yes. Yes, it was. Is it a factor that we can overcome next time? Yes, I think so. I think so. But it does mean that we're going to have to we're going to have to work harder. We're going to have to be more thoughtful about it. I think we're going to have to have some conversations in some particularly parts of the country where there may be some hesitation to women's leadership. But I do believe American people are open to it. Mm. We just have to talk it out. So you're right. There there is no single one factor. And you know I've always thought at Emily's list, was gender going to be a one-point problem or a three-point problem? I still don't know the answer, but I know it's a little bit of a problem. And in really close races on the presidential level, I mean a one-point problem can cost you the race. Mm. Uh, we need to, though get to a place in this country where there it's zero. All
1: right. So give us some rise. You're in touch with the grassroots. You, you know, you're in touch with those folks who are running. Who are some people we should keep an eye out for? Oh my who are gosh. some rising stars? I know There's it's picking so up on your children. Okay, all right. it's, it's so It's not an endorsement. Just it's it's on, the top, so of it's on top of your mind, on top your mind, on top of your mind.
0: Well, I will, um, okay, I know I'm going to the other coast, so forgive me, but this woman is such a great, you're a national, here know, you've got uh, some great women here in California too, but this one just popped up because it's such an interesting story to me, so I, you know, you know, said that all these women are coming to us, so this woman from Pennsylvania uh, who served, you know, uh, served overseas in the military. She's uh, Air Force Reserve, uh, came home, started a business in Pennsylvania, sold her business, did pretty well, started a nonprofit. Election happens. She gets all riled up. She's got to do something. So she organizes a bus to go to the Washington, D.C. Women's March. And while she's at the march, she gets so riled up, she's like, I got to run for office. And so she she contacts Emily's List, and we get on the phone With her, And she tells us her story, this whole story of her, her, of her service, and she's a veteran and her father came over as a, as a religious refugee during World War II at four years old. And so she's got this whole wonderful family story. Her father served in the military. And by the end of the conversation, my staff's like, you need to run for Congress. (laughs) Seriously. And, and sure enough, Chrissy Houlihan is running for Congress in Pennsylvania. Who's she running I knew you were going to ask me that question. Well, what what part know. of
1: the state? I was a Western Pennsylvania. I know that the, yeah, the, the, and the politics this is, are, this are is tricky like, there. Yeah, right?
0: no, this is this is this one is of those collar. Yeah, it's one of those collar county uh, districts around Philadelphia. Um, around Philadelphia okay. So other side of the state, okay. uh, but she, you know, so she's pulling her campaign together and doing a phenomenal job. But it's, it is that story, someone who never really thought she was going to run for office, and here she is running for Congress. And so, and so I'm not saying all 13,000 women are obviously going to run yeah. for Congress, but what I'm saying is we're really inspiring a whole new set of leaders that I think are really going to change the future of this nation. So
1: here's the question I always have, for, regardless if it's a man or a woman or, or whatever, wherever you are on the gender spectrum if you don't have political experience, I, you know, as a political reporter, I'm always kind of dubious. I'm like, oh, okay, when, why start, well, we have someone who started at present, running for office <laughs> so, and no political experience. So but, all the rules have yeah, changed. I guess all the rules, rules have changed. But really, how do you um, encourage someone or what do you tell them to say and do if they don't have political experience? This person sounds like they have a wonderful biography, but that is not political experience. What, how do you reconcile those two? Well, it's,
0: it's all about listening. It's all about listening uh, for all of these folks. And so if you're going to run for city council or if you're going to run for United States Senate, uh, it's really about getting to know the people in your district or state, whatever whatever geographic area. Uh, because you're, gonna, you're in a dialogue the entire campaign. It's mm-hmm. really about understanding their needs and what, what your experiences can bring to helping mm-hmm. those needs. And so I really think that that is the basic piece of politics. It is about people. It is about getting to know people. And if you're willing to listen, if you're willing to ask questions, you can do this. Uh, now, I'm not recommending to everybody that they start running for the U.S. House or the United States Senate. I mean, city council, school boards, county yeah. commissions, great, great, fabulous places to Build start. the bench. Build yeah. the bench. And... Right. Boy, talk about tough politics! Like nothing like being on a school board to learn tough politics. Right? Yes, <laughs> like yes. I, my my former boss, Senator John Tester, Montana, said, the toughest job he's ever had was school board. Oh, <laughs> school no board member, it's tough. Um, so those because, those are because really you're important.
1: living next door to your you really are. You know <laughs> your, when you're when uh, you're at the
0: basketball game, yeah. like the constituents are yelling at you and not at the yeah. opposing team. Right. Uh, like this is just the environment of it. But that's really, you learn as you, you know, you you learn as you go. I think that's the most important part of this is bringing your life experience to this and then learning others uh, along the way. And those those are the best politicians at the end of the day, those who are going to sit down, have conversations. That's why I believe women are in such a great position right now to bring, to bring folks together. And I think about this wonderful woman uh, who is getting ready to launch her gubernatorial campaign in Georgia, Stacey Abrams. Mm-hmm. She's She'd be the first African-American woman governor in the country if she pulls this off. We're just huge fans of hers. Uh, and I think about the work she's done. She's in the legislature, so she comes with some political experience right. already when she's running for governor. But her strength has been bringing people together Uh, in a state that's controlled by Republicans to find solutions for the people in Georgia. And I think that's why she's got a real opportunity to become the governor in Georgia. It is that strength that so many of our women leaders bring, and that's what we're looking for.
1: One more uh, question. Uh, Today we have a special uh, election in your native Montana. Yes. We'll see what the effect of body slamming reporters (laughs) will be. And uh, we also have a special election coming up in Georgia. What... um, what are, your, what are your thoughts on these, both these races? And when do don't Democrats have to start winning one of these? Can't, how many moral victories can you have? When, how, when are those? How, how much are those going to count for?
0: Well, we are. I mean, here's the interesting thing about all these districts. When you look at the Kansas uh, congressional race that happened earlier too. I mean, these are districts that, you know. Put, we'll put aside the Georgia one for a second, but uh, the Montana district and the Kansas district—these are places that Trump won by well into double dis, uh, digits. I mean, mm-hmm. well into double right. digits. I mean, I've seen the polling in Montana, and you know, Trump's favorable still in Montana, are fifty plus. Yeah. I, which I know is hard for us, you know, sitting here and just to get yeah. our heads around, but uh, that—that's absolutely the truth. So the fact that these races. Our landing in even single digits is extraordinary because of what it's showing us is that the momentum and the energy is on the Democratic side in states that you know are not Democratic states. Now the race in Montana today, I gotta say, I don't know what's going to happen. How often have you you've been doing this for a long time? How often have you seen papers the day of the election pull endorsements? We just saw three of those in Montana today. like we know that you know a third to the half of the votes are already in, so it would have to be a big dynamic. But does that depress the Republican vote because they're like, oh, geez, I don't want to, I'm embarrassed, I don't want to go vote for this guy? It does it enrage independents? Or right? Or that's like, we got to get out there and do this. I, like the dynamic as a former campaign manager in
1: Montana, the, the un,
0: in Montana, the unsettledness of the last 24 hours is not really what you want on the last day, <laughs> so it's hard to tell what's going to happen. This Georgia district, though, I think is is really telling because here's the thing about this Georgia district. We talked about the seven districts here in California that are in play because Hillary Clinton won these districts. So Georgia, she did not, but she only lost that House district by one point. Romney won it by over 20. So think about what's going on there. Who are those Romney Clinton voters uh, who are just against Trump? And does that then move over to a congressional race? Now, watching this race, if he performs as well as Hillary Clinton or better and pulls it off, which I think he has a real shot of doing in Georgia, that is a huge sign for particularly these 23 House districts in the country that Clinton won that Republicans are holding. Because what that's saying is those voters that just voted for Romney, but now they voted for Hillary because they just don't like Trump, they want somebody to hold them accountable, and I think it's going to be really hard for these Republican members of Congress to make a case to those voters that they counted on in 14 to come back home to them. I think I think that's what we're seeing. So I, this Georgia race, to me, is the big one. It's like, where are these folks who voted for Romney, then voted for Clinton? Are they going back home to the Republicans, or are they not? And what I'm seeing in Georgia is they're not.
1: Wow, uh, okay. Stephanie Shriak, thank you so much for taking time on. It. It's
0: all political. Good to see you again. Absolutely.
1: Anytime. Take it easy. Thank you for listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Our guest was Stephanie Shriok. Read more local coverage of politics and subscribe to the San Francisco Chronicle at sfchronicle.com. I'm Joe Garofoli, and remember no matter who you are or what you're doing, it's all political. You've been listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Our executive producer is Fernando Diaz. Our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. And our producers are Peter Hartlog, Brittany Schell, and Claire Varellis. It's All Political's theme music. We have theme music. is called Cattle Call by Randy Clark's Crow Song. The Chronicle's Josh Zucker, who is our podcast's musical director, is on bass. If you like what you heard, good news, there's more. Listen to Chronicle Podcasts and get bonus content at sfchronicle.com backslash podcasts, plural, or subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, or other streaming services.